I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and it really is my joy to worship Jesus together with you this morning as we look at Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. So if you'd love to, I mean, if you take a time now to just go ahead and find that, um, I'll make my way there as well. Uh, a few weeks back, uh, Matthew uh, gave us what I thought was a great uh, example of the authority of Jesus. He gave the example of his family searching for these uh, for glasses. Uh, Ashley had a need for glasses. Uh, they were broken. They had a bad experience with the eye doctor. Um, the prescription was wrong. I, don't, I can't remember all that was going on there, but there was a lot going on there that they felt so unsatisfied that they had to go to a higher authority to uh, seek uh, help with what was going on there. And uh, they needed to seek help because there was something wrong with uh, what was going on down here, what they were experiencing, what they were seeing. There was something wrong. And Matthew explained to us that Jesus had authority over demons. Jesus had authority over sickness. Jesus had authority over doctrine. And so today we also get to explore more about Jesus's authority. Mark, in the first part of his gospel, really is honing in on who Jesus is. And so I also have an illustration about spectacles or glasses. Spectacles just sounds cool, so I'll say that occasionally. Um, so I had a different experience, not to rub it in, but my experience was really great. <laughs> uh, my experience was really great, uh, but there's something really unique about the experience that I want to share with you guys that I hope will help us understand this passage today. So I had a great experience at the, uh, with uh, the prescription, figuring that out, went to go uh, meet with a technician to pick out my pair of glasses, and he went and picked them out, brought them to me, and we were, we were trying them on and, you know, looking at them in the mirror, and he leans over to me and he says, hey, I can knock like 50 bucks off of that pair right there. And I'm like, whoa, okay. I'm like, uh, don't you need to like ask your boss or don't you need to check my insurance policy or something? Like you just seem to have all this authority. You can knock some price off my pair. It surprised me. But I, was, I wasn't going to argue with him, right? So I keep putting on glasses. And a few minutes later, he leans in again and he says, yeah, I can really help you out here because... Um, I actually sold all these glasses to, to the eye doctors. I, I own a side business where, I, uh, where I, I buy glasses and sell glasses. And so I can really give you a great deal here. I was like, whoa, okay. Like, you know, I thought I was just talking to the technician. Uh, but apparently he uh, had some part ownership in the company or he was, he was more than who I thought he was. And so I hope that today we're also going to look at this passage and see that um, <clears throat> to the people at that time, Jesus had more authority than they thought, and he was someone else than who they initially thought he was. And in this passage today, we're also going to learn about his authority. He has authority to take care of our deepest need. The Bible explains to us that our deepest need is the, at the core is what's wrong with us is sin. Sin in our hearts and sin in the world. And we've all experienced that. We've experienced sin in our own hearts. We can look in and see that we haven't always behaved like we uh, know that we should or that we wanted to. And we can look out at the world and see the brokenness that sin has caused in the world. Sickness, uh, depression, anxiety, all kinds of uh, brokenness in the world. 
But at the core of this brokenness is sin. We need our sin forgiven. We need healing for ourselves and we need healing for our world. And so today we're going to look at this text and see that Jesus has authority to forgive sins because he is the son of man, God incarnate. We can also look at this text by just asking the simple question, how can sinners be forgiven and be healed? And we're going to walk through the text in three parts, one through five. We're going to answer that question first by coming to Jesus to hear and be healed. And then we're going to look at verse 5 through 10. How can sinners be forgiven and healed? By believing in Jesus, the Son of Man. And lastly, in verse 11 through 12, we're going to rejoice in the finished work of Jesus. And I hope that this will serve us today as we look at our Savior and His authority. Let me pray for us and ask for God's help. Father God, we, uh, we come to you now. Uh, we ask that you would incline our hearts to your testimonies. You would incline our hearts to your ways. God, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the wondrous deeds in your word. We ask that you would unite our hearts to fear your name, to be in awe of you. And we ask that you would satisfy us this morning. Satisfy us with who you are. And would you help me, a weak sinful man, uh, communicate these amazing truths about who you are. Would you help us this morning worship? We're inviting you. We ask for you now to be here to show us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So first, in one through five, we come to Jesus to hear and be healed. There's been a lot of interest in Jesus so far, uh, and there's been a lot of interest in Jesus because he's healing because they, they, they had a lot of interest, but they were misplaced interest in who Jesus was. The disciples and everyone following him, they were following him because of, their, because of his miracles and because of their misplaced expectations of who they thought the Messiah was. That's why they were following Jesus. And so uh, oftentimes Jesus would remove himself and he removed himself for two reasons. One, he was human and he needed to rest. He was healing. He was teaching. He needed to remove himself so he could rest. Another reason that I think is so wonderful that he uh, removed himself is because he was being misunderstood. What he was doing and what he was saying was being misunderstood. So he would remove himself, let the crowds die down, and then enter back in. He would engage back in to try to teach them and show them. And what grace there is here that our Savior would basically rearrange his schedule so that he could make sure that people were understanding who he was and what he was trying to accomplish. And we see that here at the end of chapter one, Jesus goes off to a desolate place or a wilderness place to be alone. And then he comes back to Capernaum and we see this crowd gathering here. And we even read that um, it says in some time later. So it kind of clues us in that this he had spent some time out there to let the crowds die down. And then he begins to teach. And again, we should be amazed at our Savior teaching. Like, let's, let's not just pass over that easily. Like, he is trying to explain what's happening here. He's not just doing a bunch of stuff, but he is wanting to explain what is happening here. 
Um, And often in Mark's gospel, miracles and message go hand in hand because Jesus does not want to just be some cool. He doesn't want to just show some cool things. He wants them to understand. And we don't have a transcript of his message here, but we know this word here, message, can also be translated message. And his primary message we can find in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. And it says, proclaiming the gospel and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So this message was good news from God, about God, urging the necessity of repentance and faith in light of the coming kingdom. It was an urgent message. This was the message that Jesus was teaching with all of his creative illustrations that he often liked to use to try to help them understand who he was and who they were. Then we read here of four men bringing this paralytic in. And for fun, I like to call them the Fantastic Four. So the Fantastic Four were bringing this paralytic to Jesus. And there was a crowd there, so they obviously had you know, he was probably on a bed, and so there was four of them that couldn't get through the door. There was a big crowd, and so they went to the outside of the house, which was most likely a staircase of some sort, that they went uh, up the house onto the roof, and the roofs at that time were made of wooden beams, and they had brush and, and straw and grass over them and then dried mud on them, so they were sturdy enough to stand on. But they were also, um, they also were able to be dug through. So we, we don't know exactly from the text if they dug through the roof, if they lifted something from the roof, but it required some amount of effort and required some amount of faith for them to be doing all of this work. And I can just imagine Jesus teaching, right? And the roof starts coming in, like pieces of the roof are coming down as he's teaching. And I'm just using my imagination here because the text doesn't tell us, but, you know, does Jesus stop? Hey guys, hold, hold on, hold on a minute there. There's a demolition going on up there. Uh, You guys just wait a minute. We're going to let them finish. Or maybe he just keeps teaching. Maybe they're so interested in what he's saying, so captivated that he just keeps teaching. Or maybe uh, he, you know, he he interacts with the with uh, the Fantastic Four coming down. We we don't know exactly what is happening here, but what we do know from the text is the response of Jesus to this act the response of the scribes, and the response of the crowd. And so Mark is leaving out these details, and I can't help to, I debated using this illustration or not, but I can't help to use this illustration of making a shake. You know, I've been making different types of protein shakes for years, and if you put 20 ingredients in the shake, uh, it's, it's a high possibility that it's not going to be good. It's just a liquid meal, you know? But if you theme it and you only put three or four ingredients in there, you can make some really good shakes. I mean, you can make them taste like Reese's. You can make them taste like Almond Joy. You can make some good shakes. And so that's really what Mark is doing here. He's leaving out a lot of details because he wants to emphasize the ones that are here. And so we can use our imagination, but let's be careful that we're focusing our attention on the things that he does tell us here. And so before we move on to the responses we mentioned a minute ago, let's take a moment and just meditate or or think, talk for a minute about these four. Because this is the most familiar part of the story to you and to me. 
like we should model and emulate their faith. That's kind of the story. If any of us grew up in church, we've heard. And that's true. That, that is true. And, and there's three specific things. I'm sure there's more, but uh, at least what I've looked at, there's three things we should note about these four. Their effort. They're not going to give up easy. What they did required effort. What they did required love. And what they did required faith. That required love for this man, this paralytic man. That they would be willing to go to all this trouble, all this awkwardness, even the damage to property. I mean, who was going to pay for that? They, they were like setting everything aside to get this man to Jesus. And so, you know, I have to ask myself, like, and that and face we, we see here, we see here in the text that Jesus saw their faith um, and, and he was moved with compassion. Now, we're not, we don't know exactly from this, from this text of Mark, did Jesus see their heart or was he just seeing an uh, outward expression of their faith at face value, at face value? We should understand that Jesus recognized their actions as evidence of their faith in his ability to heal the man. So he was just seeing their actions. And so we can definitely model uh, what these men are doing here. I mean, I have to, I'm convicted as I read this text, how many of my friends, maybe that aren't believers, am I taking them to Jesus? Would I be so passionate? Would I be so confident in Jesus' ability to heal, in Jesus' ability to help them with their life problems, with their issues, that I'm going to do everything I can to take them to Jesus? Is that going on in my life? And sadly, I mean, a lot of times it's not. And so I just want to encourage you guys to ask yourself that question. Are you modeling these men in that way? And even though Jesus didn't uh, see their, he did, we, we don't know whether he saw internally their faith or not. Um, we see that he does recognize their faith and he says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. Son or child, your sins are forgiven. And I'm, this is the part of the story that starts to get unfamiliar, at, at least from my perspective. What? How, how can you forgive this man's sins? And, and, and first off, these men brought, they brought the paralytic to you, Jesus, to heal him. To heal him. To make him walk. Like he was going to go home that night and be with his family. Maybe around the kitchen table or playing ball or something, you know. Like he was going to go home. But Jesus doesn't heal the man. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. So this, this is kind of shocking to me, and I, can't, I could imagine that they were let down, pun intended, that Jesus did not meet their expectations. Jesus looks at the man with compassion and says, your sins are forgiven. We should be surprised that Jesus is forgiving this man's sins. Jesus knows the inner workings, and the outward condition of every man. Seeing this man and being moved with compassion for him, he goes deeper than the desire to walk. Jesus goes deeper than any so-called need or felt need. Jesus knows that what we often think we want is not what we need most and sometimes will ruin us. Jesus knows that the deepest need of this man and your deepest need and every man's deepest need. 
Jesus knows that he could heal this man's legs and he might walk for the rest of his life. But sadly, he would walk into hell. Like that's really gripping to say and sad to say, but that, that's what we're dealing with here. Like Jesus could have healed the man, but Jesus is going so much deeper. And it's convicting to me to think about the things that I've asked him for. Not that that's always bad, but what we should learn here is that Jesus knows the deepest need of every man. And that is his primary concern. And that is what he is going after here. An eternal death apart from God's blessing is what this man would receive without forgiveness. He stood, Jesus has stood witness throughout time to see man after man experience suffering and die. Jesus is familiar with suffering and grief. And Jesus has arranged all of time. And he comes to this earth. And while he was here, he arranged his schedule. He found creative ways to teach the word so that he might, so people might know who he was and what he was doing here. He was addressing their deepest need. And in this moment, in this little house, He says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. Regardless of his current life, this man is going to walk in eternal life with Jesus. Jesus was able to do this based on what he was going to do in in, in the rest of his life. He was going to walk up Calvary and give his life on Calvary and be in the grave three days and then walk out of the grave victoriously over sin, Satan and death. This is how Jesus was able to say this to the man. But Jesus also wants to be clear about who he is. Sinners need to believe in Jesus as the son of man. Let's look at verse 5 through 11. Mark does not report to us the response of the man. Mark does not report to us the response of the four, uh, the fantastic four. He does not report those responses. All we hear is the silent sitting scribes. Mark's being really brief here. Only only the interaction with the scribes to communicate clearly the main point that Jesus is God and Jesus is the son of man. We should not be stunned by the response of the scribes. I mean, these were very learned men in the scriptures, their entire life in the scriptures. They were the guardians of the sacred written text and the guardians of the oral tradition. And so when they when they are saying this is blasphemy, this should not be a surprise to us like this. It should not stun us. What Jesus was saying, he was saying, I am God because they knew that only God could forgive sins. Sins were normally atoned for in the temple. The priests would speak on behalf of God for proper sacrifice and some kind of and for a proper repentance. Here we have no official priest. We have no official place. We have no official sacrifice and we have no official declaration of repentance. Jesus simply claims the man's sins are forgiven. Jesus was claiming to be God himself. He was passing by all of those uh, barriers. This charge to be God and forgive like God was worthy of death. 
And in fact, Jesus' ministry, this would be the charge against him to later crucify him. But here Jesus explains explicitly why and by what authority he's able to forgive sins. He says that they may know that he is the son of man. What does this mean, son of man? This was by far Jesus's most common term used for himself. For three reasons that are very helpful for us. Jesus uses son of man to communicate clearly about who he is and his mission without any political, cultural, or nationalistic baggage that would have come with other titles like Messiah or Son of God. They already had expectations, some right and some misplaced, about who that person was going to be. So Jesus really liked to use this term because he was, it was a way that he was able to communicate who he was without all of that baggage. The other reason Jesus liked to use this term was because it communicated his humanity. It communicated clearly who he was. It communicated his humanity. Throughout all of Scripture, most of the time when it says son of man, it simply just means a son of a man. That's most of the time what the Scripture reads. We can read in Psalm chapter 8, verse 4, where it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? And in Psalm 104, 3 through 4, it says, O Lord, what is man that you would regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Jesus likes to use this term to communicate his humanity. Jesus used this term also to communicate his divinity. The son of man in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, has a unique authority over the people of the earth. He has more than a human. He, he is more than just a human. He is supernatural. Let me read for you. It says, I saw in the night vision and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. This one and this son of man is none other than Jesus the Christ. And the ancient of days is God the Father. Jesus is able to stand before him because he is God and because he is holy. And God gives him all dominion, all glory, and a kingdom that will include all people from all nations from all time. And what's so amazing about this is Jesus did not have to go back to consult his supervisor. Jesus did not ask for a down payment here. He did not require a credit score check. Jesus had full credibility and full authority and full superiority to forgive this man's sins and to forgive our sins. We can gain great insight in how Jesus uses this term throughout Mark. 
Jesus likes to use this term in context of suffering. I'm just encouraging you as we walk through Mark, take this into account. He uses this in context of suffering, in context of serving. And then later in chapter 8 makes a, ba- a major shift. Jesus starts talking a lot about his death and about his, his, uh, his atonement on the cross. And after Peter's confession, Jesus uses it a lot. And then he also uses it to talk about his coming glory. And so we should conclude by this, by looking at all of Mark, that Jesus is not only, Mark is not only cluing us in to learn about Jesus's identity, but also about Jesus's destiny. What is Jesus going to do as the son of man? This person is fully human and must suffer and die by the But this same person is more than human, and he will be raised from the dead and return in glory to judge all men. This gives him the authority to forgive sins. So we come to Jesus to hear and to be healed because he knows our deepest need. And we believe he has the authority as the Son of Man to meet our need. But we should also look to Jesus Uh, look and rejoice in his finished work. Let's look at verse 11 through 12. Jesus then wants, he, he is going to prove to them his authority. They are questioning him and he asks them what they think is easier for him to do, to heal the man, like, like to, 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 to heal the man or to forgive his sins. And Jesus was proving to them that he had the power and the authority to forgive the man's sins, and he would prove it also by healing this man. Jesus knows that meeting our deepest need will affect everything else. Our rebellion we have participated in affects every aspect of our existence. Disease, depression, sorrow, poverty, injustice, and all other forms of suffering exist because sin has corrupted creation and caused so much death. Jesus knows that he must become a man, the son of man, to live a perfect life, die in our place, to be buried in a tomb and rise three days later to secure the forgiveness of sin and the renewal of all existence. Jesus knows the core of what's going on here. And what Jesus is doing here is only a taste of what he's going to do. Healing of any kind is a gracious act of God to bring life to a decaying world. Every healing and every sin forgiven is God taking back territory that has been taken by the effects of sin. In the future coming of God's kingdom, there will be no sickness. There will be no sorrow. God is bringing a new age of complete wholeness. Jesus walked out of the tomb so that we, when we trust in him, can walk forever with him. That's what Jesus is doing here. And these, the crowd, they were astonished. We read in the text, they were astonished. They were astonished because they were anticipating what else he was going to do. They saw this man that was claiming to be God heal a paralytic. And they were wondering, what in the world is he going to do? And in the same way, we should be anticipating what else God is going to do. We saw his finished work on the cross, but he is coming again to bring, a, to bring his kingdom in full. And so we also should sit in astonishment and amazement in Jesus and anticipate his coming kingdom. 
And so I just want to ask you, are you rejoicing in the work of Jesus today? Are you rejoicing in his work? Do you trust him that he's able to do this? Are you coming to him to be healed and to hear him? Are you believing that he is the son of man, fully divine and fully God entering into your situation? And then let's together rejoice in the work of Jesus. When I picked out my glasses, I was amazed at the technician's authority to debit my account. And I was amazed at his identity and the source of this authority. My my prayer is that you would continue to be amazed by Jesus' authority to forgive sins because he is the only son of man and that you would anticipate his coming kingdom. Let me pray for us. Father God, we, uh, we thank you for this opportunity to worship together, to, to get in your word. Thank you for sending Jesus, the son of man. Thank you that he rearranged all of time and that he arranged his schedule so graciously to, to reveal himself to us. We, we are so thankful for that. And we know that you come to meet our deepest need. And we just, we say, we want to say we're sorry for chasing after so many other things. Uh, and we want to come to you to meet our deepest need. And we want to anticipate all that you're going to do in excitement. Would you help us do that now? It's in your name we pray. Amen.